Hey, welcome to the Crosspoint Church Podcast. I'm Rob Chartrand, the lead pastor of the church. We're a church that's for the city in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and are passionate about helping people find their way back to God. Hey, if you're new, I'll have a bit to say at the end of the podcast, but in the meantime, let's listen to this Sunday's message. series, if those of you just joining us, and the series is called The King's Tale, and in The King's Tale, we've been walking through the Gospel of Luke, and we're looking at the story of Jesus, the King of Kings, as seen through the lens of Luke, and uh, we've been going through this for the last couple of years, uh, off and on, and uh, today, uh, we find ourselves in a story where Jesus is on tour in Galilee, and uh, he's, he's going throughout the region of Galilee, he's going from town to town, he's going from village to village, and he's proclaiming the kingdom of God. He's teaching about what it means to live in the kingdom of God and have the kingdom of God to live inside of you. And he's performing miracles. He's healing people. He's raising the dead. Uh, he's, he's facing a little bit of opposition from the Pharisees. And this is where we find ourselves in the story this morning. Now, at one point in the story, as we find today, Jesus is starting to gather quite a bit of a crowd. There's an 
is that there's this large crowd pressing on Jesus, and everybody wants a piece of Jesus. Everyone wants to hear him. Everyone wants to be close to him. And his family's having a lot of difficulty getting to see Jesus. They haven't seen him in a while. And now, uh, just to be clear, Jesus made an interesting statement that we read this morning. Uh, Jesus wasn't dissing his family. Okay, so when, when Jesus makes this statement, my mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. By saying that, he's not disowning his family. In fact, Jesus loved his mom. Jesus loved his, his stepbrothers, uh, who were Joseph's sons. What Jesus is doing at this, this point in the story, he's just taking advantage of this opportunity to make a point. It's a, it's a teachable moment. And what Jesus is trying to point out here is that there is a difference between being part of God's spiritual family and being part of Jesus' biological family. See, Jesus had a biological family. He had mother, his brother, Joseph. Uh, we don't know what happened to Joseph. Joseph uh, kind of does, comes out of the king's tale after Luke chapter 2, so we don't know much about Joseph. But we do know that Jesus had a brother. He had stepbrothers as well. Um, but, but Jesus is saying, listen, just because someone shares the same gene pool doesn't mean that they have a share in God's kingdom. And, and Jesus is very careful to try and make this distinction. But he, but he actually takes it a little bit further. He goes a little bit further, and he begins to describe what it is that God's spiritual family does. And he says two things. Number one, they, they hear God's teaching. And number two, they put them into practice. Uh, how many of you know that uh, most families have their own uh, unique set of behaviors? Right? I'm, I'm betting that most of you can uh, testify uh, to that fact for your own family. Uh, some of them are just kind of behaviors that are common, like maybe you carve pumpkins during Halloween, okay? Uh, and uh, that's, that's a unique family tradition, unique family behavior. Uh, for some of you, it might be just really weird, crazy things, like uh, directing a Festivus pole um, on Christmas when you try and tell fans, you know, okay? Okay, yeah, you know what Festivus is all about. Uh, one, for the rest of us, you got it, Pontiac. Okay, so... Uh, one of my family behaviors, one of my family traditions, was mixing explosives, explosive agents, in a wheelbarrow. I'm not making this up, okay? My dad was a licensed explosives expert, and he blew things up for a living. And not only did he purchase his explosives, sometimes he actually made his own explosives. So most of my brothers, me included, at one point in our childhood, went to work for my dad. Okay, and so when I was a teenager, I went to work for my dad. And one of the explosives that he made was made out of diesel fuel and a certain type of fertilizer, which is no longer available on the market. Um, so when I was 14, just like all of my brothers before me, I'd get up when in the summer, 6 in the morning, he'd roll out the wheelbarrow, fill it with diesel fuel and fertilizer, and I would take my metal shovel and a metal wheelbarrow, and I would mix it for him so he could go out. Job. Yeah, exactly. Part of me is like, I don't know if this is a good idea, the metal shovel and the metal wheelbarrow. So that, that's my family. My family had unique behaviors, and I'm sure yours is no different. And like I said, every family has that. God's spiritual family is no different. God's spiritual family has some unique behaviors, and what Jesus is describing here are the behaviors of God's spiritual family. They hear God's word, and they put it into practice. Now, we have to be very careful this morning not to misread what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is not talking about how to become a family member. Jesus is talking about 
member of God's spiritual family by being born into or raised in a Christian family, whatever flavor that might be. It could be Baptist, Anglican, Alliance, Catholic, Lutheran, it doesn't matter. Because I'm part of this biological family and I was raised in it, therefore I'm part of God's spiritual family. Some would say I'm part of God's spiritual family by keeping the Ten Commandments, by, by avoiding these certain behaviors that will keep me out of the spiritual family. Some people would say, I become part of God's family by uh, doing good deeds, or giving to the church, or helping the poor. And these are the ways by which I've become part of God's spiritual family. Listen, the Bible is, is very clear. It is abundantly clear that there is only one way to become part of God's spiritual family. And that only way is through spiritual rebirth. Jesus said these words. Uh, you find them, uh, well, they, in John chapter 1, verse 12 to 13, these words are said about Jesus. Okay, here's what it says. It says, Yet to all who did receive him, that's Jesus, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, okay, biology, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The way to become a member of God's family is only by receiving Christ in life. And when we believe in his name, a supernatural work takes place. We are born of God into this new family. Now, I, I think it's really important this morning. I want to unpack this a little bit more, and I uh, want you to bear with me because it's going someplace this morning, okay? So let me explain this a little bit further. You see, the Bible teaches that every person, uh, no matter who you are, uh, was born into Adam's family. So as part of... of family, we were, he's our spiritual head, he's the, the head of our spiritual household, right? And so when Adam was disobedient to God, sin and death entered into the world. And with this came spiritual death. And so because of this, the Bible says that, that we are all slaves of wrath. In other words, uh, under Adam, we were born, as he's our head of household, right? We were born under him, and so we were born into sin, and we live our lives as slaves to sin. And I know the word sin is not a very popular word in our culture today, but let me just frame it this way. What do I mean by sin? By sin, we just mean we have this natural disposition within ourselves to love ourselves more than anything and to love things more than anything rather than to love God more than anything. That's ultimately what it is. That sin within us is disordered love. It's broken love. And we were made and we were wired to love God first, to love people second. But something happened when Adam chose to walk in rebellion to God. Now, so we're enslaved. We are slaves to sin. And now, the only way to get out of slavery, okay, this is, and I don't want you to think in the modern day, I want to think back in that day, in the biblical day, the only way that you could get out of slavery was if somebody ultimately paid a price. So when you are a slave, you are, you are powerless to rescue yourself. There is only one way out. The only way out of slavery is that a price must be paid. And what the Bible says is that God paid the price for our slavery with the life of his own son. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7 says this. It says, in him, in Jesus, we have redemption. Redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Now that word redemption is an interesting word because the word redemption is a slaver's word. The word redemption means to be set free at a cost. So when you hear, I am redeemed, it means I am set free at a cost. God set us free at the cost of Christ's life. And so when we receive Christ into 
our lives, we're essentially taking hold of the freedom that Jesus has purchased for us. And when that happens, a supernatural work takes place. We are born again into the Father's family. And so instead of being spiritually dead, we become spiritually alive. And instead of being slaves, we are no longer slaves. Instead, we become children of God. And the Bible has a... Uh, uh, scholars have a term for this. Theologians have a term for this. It's called the theology of adoption. We are adopted into the family of God. Here's the thing about adoption. Adoption is not something a child can negotiate. The only reason why a child is adopted is because the father or the parent chooses to adopt them. It is only happens as a result of a legal act by the father. So for us, God saw us, He loved us, He called us, He signed the papers, and there is nothing that we can bring to the table in adoption. So there is nothing you can do to win your status or negotiate your status as a child of God. All that you can do to become a child of God is to simply receive it. It's to receive it. And I wonder this morning, have you received it? that freedom for yourself. Now here's the thing, is when you become a member of God's spiritual family, this is huge. Because who you become ultimately will affect how you behave. In other words, your position in Christ is going to roll over and affect your practice as a follower of Christ. When you become a child of God, the Bible says you're, you're given a new identity. The old has passed away, the new has come, and we are meant to live out of this new identity. Okay? Now, I, I want to uh, unpack this a little bit further this morning. So think of it like those little Ukrainian eggs. We just popped off another one. We found another one on the inside. We're going to pop that one off. I'm going to unpack that a little bit this morning. Okay? I want to talk to you really quickly about identity. We're going somewhere with this morning. I want to talk to you about your spiritual identity as a spiritual member of the family. Let me tell you four, four truths about identity this morning. Number one, you have an identity. If there's anything we human beings have in common as conscious beings, right, uh, created in the image of God, is we all have an identity. Your identity is how you see yourself and how you see yourself in relationship to the world or to all other people. Your identity began to be written from the day you were born. It has been scripted from your environment, from things that you've heard, from experiences, things you've observed, things you've witnessed. So since the beginning, these outside forces have been pressing on you. They have been nudging you and shaping you. And to the degree that you have accepted them, to the degree that you have believed them, they began to form your identity. Now, for example, some of us this morning carry labels. Smart. statement 
child that she's smart, she will likely complete high school. If you tell a child that she is stupid, she will likely not want to go to school. If everything in a child's environment screams you are worthless and insignificant, then that is going to ultimately shape that child's future. It will either beat them down until he gives up, or it will make him fight tooth and nail to prove the world that it's wrong and that they will be something. By the way, the latter is my story. Before I met Christ, I had something to prove. Psychologists explain this phenomenon. It's something that's known as the Pygmalion effect or the uh, Galatea effect. Uh, in, in Greek mythology, Pygmalion was a sculptor. He carved this beautiful, flawless, life-size ivory statue of a woman, and he called her Galatea. And in time, he loved this statue so much, it was so incredibly beautiful that he fell in love with this statue. And no woman, no woman in all the world could compare to Galatea. So he could never fall in love with another woman. And one day, Pygmalion went to a festival, and when he went to the festival, uh, he secretly prayed in his heart and he secretly wished that he would find a woman as beautiful as Galatea. And when he was at the festival, the goddess Aphrodite heard his wishes, heard his prayers and his desires, and granted them. So that when he went home that day, he went and he saw this beautiful ivory sculpture of Galatea, and he went forward and he kissed the sculpture. And when he kissed the sculpture, she became warm and soft. So all of his deepest longings that he had before him became a reality in him. And the Pygmalion effect is this idea that what we perceive about ourselves, good or bad, will transform our behavior. Now, here's the thing. As you read the New Testament epistles, you see this happen time and time again. Read the letters of Paul. You will realize that Paul begins his letters with talking about your position in Christ. And then he goes on after that to talk about the practice. This is throughout Scripture. Your position always precedes your practice. Your identity informs your future. And our minds can be channeled towards powerful results by powerful ideas. Just as Pygmalion willed and believed for Galatea to come to life, what we believe about ourselves can come to life. And there's other uh, names for this. It's also called the Rosenthal effect. It's called the self-fulfilling prophecy, etc., etc. Listen, friends, you become what you believe about yourself. Your identity informs your future. Here's the third truth. There is a difference between your true identity and your perceived identity. Just because you believe something to be true doesn't make it true. You might be sincere, but you can be sincerely wrong. What you believe about yourself is only your perceived identity. It might not be your true identity. A girl struggling with an eating disorder has a perceived identity that she is ugly, that she is fat, but in truth, she is not fat at all. There is a gap between her perceived identity and her true identity. And she is behaving from her perceived identity. She is not behaving from her true identity. Listen, when you believe your perceived identity, but it is not your true identity, then you have experienced identity theft. And identity theft, ultimately, at the end of the day, it can sabotage your future. 
warm hearted, she was upbeat, everybody absolutely loved this girl. And it took me a couple of years to discover that what we saw on the outside was a mask to cover what was happening on the inside. You see, behind the mask, she, she secretly loathed herself. She was filled with self-hatred. She believed that she could never, ever be loved. She was damaged goods. See, when she was really young, uh, a family member um, sexually assaulted her multiple times on a regular basis. And then when she told her parents about it, they said to do nothing. As a matter of fact, they just said to her, you need to just get over it. And you can imagine how this negatively, negatively affected her self-identity, what she believed about herself. The people in all the world who she thought she should be safe with, she wasn't safe with. And so secretly, she began to live out of this false identity. As a result, she began cutting herself all of it was fueled by this deep loathing that she had, living out of her perceived identity rather than out of her true identity, which is always up. So there's a difference between the two, and I'm going to come back to her story a little bit later on, but I think it illustrates the point, this difference that can happen between our true identity and our perceived identity. It's really important to explain. God wants to transform of God's spiritual family. Number 
want. You have security. You, you can have assurance of a relationship with the Father. You don't need to live in fear of your dad, of him backing out. You are no longer a slave who lives in fear. The Spirit assures you that you are God's children. God is not a deadbeat dad who is going to walk out on you and walk out on the kids. You have security. Number two, you have authority. In Paul's day, slaves had no authority. They simply did what their master told them to do. But you are now a family member. You have the authority of God's household upon you. You have authority over sin. You have authority over the devil. You have authority. Number three, you have sharing. As family members, it says that we share in his suffering that we might also share in his glory. This is a sharing family. You have refrigerator rights. You have access to the remote control. You get to share in the new life of Christ. You get to share in the mission of Christ. You get to be like Jesus, a co-heir in every way. You are sharing. Number four, you have intimacy. Intimacy. As God's child, it says, we cry, Abba. Well, what is Abba? Well, this is an Aramaic word, which essentially is translated daddy. It's a very intimate, personal way of address, addressing your father. So he's not just a father, he's your daddy. So you can know God personally. You do not have to walk on eggshells around your father. He wants to know you. He wants to draw you close into a very personal, intimate relationship. You have intimacy. And number five, you have inheritance. You have been brought into adoption as a sonship. Now, sonship referred very specifically in that culture to the rights of the male firstborn. In that culture, the male firstborn got a double share of the inheritance, and he got to carry on the family name. And what he's saying here is what Paul is saying is here is in the same way, all of God's children are heirs. All of God's children have the right of sonship. Whether you're a son, whether you're a daughter, it does not matter. Every member of the family gets this double portion. What's implied is that God has something in store for us that is so great, that is so glorious, that it will seem like a double portion. And one day, we will rule and reign with Christ in a new heaven and a new earth. We have an inheritance. You, you are a child of the living God, the God of this universe, the one who made everything with a word of his mouth, the one who holds the stars and the heavens in his hand. He has adopted you into his family. This is your identity. It was purchased at a great price, but you received it freely with joy. And so today, accept it. Breathe it in. Live in it. Allow it to live in you. This is your identity. And so Jesus said to his disciples, My mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. I think there are two questions before us. First question is this. How are you hearing? How are you hearing? When your father speaks, are you listening? Notice Jesus says in verse uh, verse 18, he says that we should consider carefully how we listen. How many of you know this morning that there's a difference between careful listening and careless listening? Any parents? 
Well, thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope it's helped you in your spiritual journey and it's helped you draw closer to God. Let me tell you a little bit about us. Crosspoint gathers as one church on Sundays in Northeast Edmonton. And you can find out our location and more about us by visiting our website, thecrosspointchurch.ca. We also meet throughout the week throughout Edmonton in what we call home groups. These are smaller communities of learning, laughter, community, uh, transformation. We, we think that the journey of faith was never intended to be an independent exercise. It's, it's something that we do together. So please visit our website and find out how you can get connected to a home group near you. If you listen to our podcast regularly, why not make it shareable? You could like us on iTunes or share our podcast with other people. But more importantly, we hope you will get connected with other people and talk about what you've learned. Again, hey, thanks for listening. We pray you'll experience Christ's love in a very real and profound way this week.